And the church said, Amen. and the preacher said, Amen, let's go eat. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> Be quiet, Dean. It's good to see you today. Thank all of you for coming. And I'm glad we have a lot of visitors today. Uh, we're thankful that you are here uh, because a lot of our people are actually gone. As you can look out, those of you that are members here, we always in the summertime, our numbers, it's usually packed. And in the summertime, they're all gone. And... Um, but they're enjoying their vacation time, we're sure, and we're just praying over them as they are out and about and doing their, their stuff that they need to get done as well and enjoying themselves. But I want to thank all of you that have come. If I began to uh, say the ones that drove uh, so, such a distance to be here today, I would just uh, miss you. And I want to let you know that we deeply thank you for coming. And, um, you know, years ago when I first started here, we, um, I would get up and I would say something. It, this was... This was back in the day. I'm telling you, this this was a little bitty box, and we had three colors of red drapes, and I had to run into a little room over here to the side and push a button and just pray like the Dickens that the microphone would work, and it was just hilarious, but God, uh, he, he works through that. And um, so anyway, I'd get up every week, and I would simply say, uh, you know, I've been here six weeks, and I'm still excited. I've been here 38 weeks, and I'm still excited. Well, I want to tell you today I've been here 1,300 weeks and I'm still excited. I am. That's a long time for anybody to be around. It's a long time for preachers to be in town. When I first moved here, the two preachers, one at Northwest and I think one over at University, good men, I'm sure they, uh, they actually were here 20 years at the time. And I, when I first came here, I was like, these dudes must be anciently old. And uh, I realized they weren't that old at all. But anyway, uh, two men were walking through a field one day. And as they were walking, they noticed this enraged bull that was right on their tail. I mean, oh boy. So they headed for the fence as fast as they could run. The one friend saw that they weren't really going to probably be able to make it. But boy, they were trying to give it their best. This bull was right on their tail. And the one yelled out to his friend and he said, Put up a prayer, John. Put up a prayer. John yelled back as he's running to the fence. He said, I don't know any prayer. He said, I have never said a public prayer. It don't matter. Put up a prayer, John. Put up a prayer. We're about to be caught by this terrible bull. And John yelled back and says, I'll do it. He said, I'll do it. I'll just say what my dad always said at the table. Oh, Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us grateful. (laughs) You know, the two... Words, the two most gracious words in any language are thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But we all know that thank you is never sometimes enough. But the, the words that we use, thank you. Now we ought to be, as God's people, of course, we ought to be thankful always for our Heavenly Father and what He's done for us through His Son, Jesus the Christ. And as Kyle has uh, put the songs together today, and certainly this last one, give thanks to the Lord. The psalm says, enter His gates with thanksgiving and our hearts and His courts with praise. May it forever be on our lips that we do that in this place as God's children. I would certainly like myself, first of all, to thank the Lord. You know, I'm not here to say, hey, look at me or anything like that. But I would like to thank the Lord, first of all, just for salvation found through His Son, Jesus Christ. When I was 12 years old, I gave my life to the Lord in Utica, Michigan. 
Gordon Smith was preaching and I had not planned to go before the church and get baptized that night and give my life to the Lord. That was the furthest thing from my mind when I went in the building, but when I came out of the building, I was saved through the blood of Jesus and I'm eternally grateful for his speaking that night the word of God to me. Secondly, I am thankful for my beautiful bride, for she truly is my strength and my courage and my just encouragement in my life. I am a firm believer, those of us that are in ministry, if you don't have a wife that supports your ministry, you're sunk. You're sunk. You fail. Mine has been my strength. Our son lives down in Austin, Texas. He was here a couple of weeks ago. He would have loved to be here this week, but he came up for his son's graduation. We're thankful that he did. He'd love to be here. But on Thursday night, my daughter and her wonderful husband, Brian, uh, they just rang the doorbell and showed up from St. Louis. And we're so thankful that they came. They surprised the bejeebers out of us. I'm telling you, man, it was just wonderful. Brought three of their beautiful children and we're just enjoying the heck out of them. And I will tell you, our hearts are pulled to St. Louis. Of course, Langston's here with us today too. And he knows how much I love him. We say, I love you. He'll tell me, I love you, Papa, a thousand times a week, if once. And I cherish every one of them. I'd also like to just say thanks to the elders of this congregation for allowing me to be the minister for all of these years. There's many times we've sat in hours upon hours and hours of meetings in our room there, a conference room, and discussing. And I know at any moment they could have said, here's your pink slip. But they didn't, and they've been gracious to me. But I also want to thank all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that have blessed me, blessed us over the years. I cannot thank you enough. And to say thank you is not enough, but that's what I have. See, I used to think to of myself uh, of like that little frog, and you've heard the story of the little frog that lived in the bottom of the well. He thought he and his family had all the water in the whole wide world. It was just great. But the frog grew up. And he hopped and he hopped and he hopped to the top of the well. And as he looked over the top of the well, he saw this farm, huge farm pond. And he thought, oh my, that's a lot of water. So he hopped and he hopped and he hopped until he got to a lake. And it was ten times, maybe a hundred times bigger than the pond. And he thought, wow, this is amazing. And then he hopped and he hopped and he hopped until he got to the ocean. And as far as little eyes could see, he just sat there amazed of all the water. And he began to realize in his little mind how limited his thinking really was. Of he thought that he had all the water in the whole wide world, and yet God had so much more that he wanted to have and to see and enjoy in life. You see, before I came here, I had no idea what God had in store for us. I had no clue. It's my first preaching job. I had no clue. But over the years, it has fascinated me how he has taken us together and what he shows us is so much bigger than what we thought before so that we might enjoy. Scripture is true, all of it, even when we don't understand it, of course. But Scripture is true when it says, there is no eye that has seen, no ear that has heard, and no mind has ever conceived 
what God has prepared for those that love him. I believe that verse with all of my heart. It goes on to say in verse number 10 there, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. Big S, big difference. Always remember that. And so then he relates to us as humans and he says, the spirit searches all things. That's the big S. God searches all things, even your heart, even the depths and the deepest things of God. For who knows the person's thought except the own spirit, little s, within them. You know yourself better than the person sitting next to you. But I want you to know today that God knows everything about you. Every thought that you have. But notice the blessing that God gives in this. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God. Oh, well, we try to, and we try to put it together and somehow make sense of it. But no one knows that God except himself, the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, the little s, but the Spirit, the big s, who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Those of us that call ourselves Christians, we know exactly and precisely what God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. He's given us everything. Everything, period. Nothing else left. All, period. From God. And what we try to do at Western Hills, and what I want to try to impart to all of us again today, is to let you know the same thing, to let you in on that. And every person that comes through our doors or in our community or wherever we might go, what we want to do is let you know that you matter to God. To think that you matter to God. That there's no such thing as as this person that is not important to God. That you are not insignificant. Never feel as though God and Jesus did nothing for you. For you, he did it all. For you. Me? Yes, even you. Well, I've not been as good as that. It doesn't matter. He did it all just for you. There's a story of Jesus in the book of Luke chapter 18. And in this story, it's a story about a blind man, but actually it's a story about Jesus, but it's a story that connects with all of us as well. It's a blind man, and everybody would go by, and they felt like he was really nothing. He's just a blind person in our our city or our community. No one really cared about this particular person. And in that process, oh, maybe sometimes they flipped him a nickel now and then, maybe to get them off their back, or even perhaps to make them feel better about themselves, to rid themselves of guilt. I gave the blind man a nickel today. I did good, God. But not Jesus. Jesus not only stops and has a conversation with this man, Jesus stops and and heals this man. He gives him his sight back. You see, Jesus stopped and he cared for this man. And I want you to know today that Jesus has stopped and he cares about you. He wants to give you what you are missing in your life. He wants you to know that he is there for you. I'm going to give you three or four things. And I'm not going to give them like one, two or bullet points like that. But they'll just be a statement that really have meant something in my life. First of all, I would say, I believe that you are created for achievement in your life. When I talk to teenagers, I always want to tell them that God created you for a reason, to achieve something in your life. 
You may not know what it is, and you may be trying to figure it out. And sometimes we're 40 years old before we figure it out. And some of us that are 61 now, we still haven't figured it all out, but we're, God's still working on me. Give me an amen. But I believe that you were created for achievement, and you were also created to receive something from God. That's pretty amazing. The question is, have you received what God wants you to receive in your life? It's a good question. In God's eyes, we're expected to win. Did you know that? In God's eyes, we are expected to win. For would God give his one and only son for something he didn't believe in? I don't think so. He believed in you. Do you believe in him is the question. It is the question for every single person that walks planet earth. Do you believe in me? Do you? I know he believes in you because you're here. If he didn't believe in you, you would have not gotten here. God created you. God brought you here. Now, you may not feel like that at times. I understand that. We get down on ourselves. We get down on luck in life, we say. We don't feel like we're that sometimes. But I want to tell you something today. And I want to remind all the rest of us, because I have to remind myself of this all the time. Our sin was great, but God's love is greater. It is. Christians, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 there, Christians are new creations, not rebuilt sinners. That's good news. When you have a little accident with your car, you take it into the shop, they put a new fender on, put a new hood on, put a new windshield in, whatever the case is, and it comes out almost like new, but it's really rebuilt. And you know it is. God doesn't rebuild us. God recreates us in Christ Jesus, His Son. I should hear an amen. Maybe another one? Very good. You guys are catching on, aren't you? To be honest with you, this past week was one of those weeks. I will promise you, I said in my office, hour after hour, and nothing seemed to connect with my spirit as what I was going to share with you today. Nothing. I read and I pondered scripture as I'm called to do. Nothing. I looked at different notes that I had made and nothing. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed again and nothing. And then on Wednesday night in our Bible class in here, we were, uh, we were listening to a guy by the name of Jeff Wally. I've known Jeff for over 30 years, wonderful speaker of God. He, was, he did the lectureships out in Pepperdine this year, and we were watching a video of it. And he gave this powerful message on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thought to myself as I was watching him on the screen, it looks so easy for this dude to be able to deliver such a powerful message as he was doing. He is one of my favorites. So on Thursday, after some prayer time, I thought to myself, and I think I said it actually out loud, so if you were walking by my office at that time, you would have thought, he's lost it. Send him to St. Louis. All right. But nonetheless, I said this, why did you pick me to do this? I have nothing. 
Why did you pick me to do this? And it hit me like a bolt of lightning, of course. Hey, stupid. Who, who am I to question God? Who, who am I to question God? But that's exactly what... I, did you ever question God? Anybody besides me? Maybe that's a preacher thing. It's an inside thing. But who am I to question God? God was telling me in, in my spirit, even at that moment, don't ask me why, just do it. Don't ask me why. You just do what I tell you to do. That's pretty scary to tell you the truth, isn't it? Abraham followed God. Where are you going? I ain't telling you. Just go. When I was in the military back in the 80s, I don't know if they do this now. They give you a little card. Ooh, you hurt my feelings. No, I'm serious. When I was in basic, tra- <laughs> when I was when I was in basic training, I remember our drill sergeant. Man, this dude was something. I think he's like a Joe Millsap or something. But anyway, he was. He would always say, "Don't ask me why. I tell you to do something. Just do it." Yes, sergeant. What did we say, sergeant? I remember one time he said, "Listen, son." If I tell you a mosquito can plow, you don't ask me how or why, you just hook him up. <laughs> yes, Sergeant, whatever you say, Sergeant. I'm envisioning these, these mosquitoes plowing a field. But when God asks us to do something, He doesn't, he doesn't say, I, you need to know why. You just need to do it. You just need to go. That's why he says, and our mission is to go into the world. Oh, it's scary out there. I know, go. But I will be with you always till the very end of the age. So then I thought about Moses. I go to Moses a lot. Go to Peter a lot too, but go to Moses. And he was, he was willing at first. You know, all his strength, all his might, all his education, all the good things that he had in his timing, he was ready to do it. And God said, nope. And so for 40 years, he takes him on this journey. And then he said, now you're ready. And Moses said, what? Moses said, why me, God? Why now? So I was like, whew, I got some relation with this guy. And yet Moses gets the word from God. And Moses realizes there is no way he is capable of doing what God has called him to do. Read it for yourself. So God says, just obey me, just follow me, follow my instructions, and I will get it done through you. So I read one verse. One verse. You say one verse? Yep. You see, I am a firm believer, and I've taught this all my life. You can read the entire Bible and get nothing out of it. Because you don't open your spirit to receive it. But I am convinced that you can read one verse of the Bible and it can change your entire life. One verse. Why? Because it's the power of God behind the word. How do I know that? He didn't go through this 58 point whatever it was to create light. He said, let there be light. (laughs) Spoken word in your life from God can change your life. Exodus three fourteen. God said to Moses, I love this, 
God says to Moses, I am who I am. I can see Moses saying, well, I am who I am. And God says, yeah, I know who you are. I am the one that made you who you are. I am who I am. So this is what you tell the Israelites. (laughs) I am sent. I am has sent me to you. That's not much to go with. That might be a title for a message, but I don't think the rest of the message has been written out yet. But he does. When God told Moses his name, I am who I am, he was saying, I'm everything you're not, Moses. Oh. He was saying, I'm capable of doing everything that you can't. Oh. I am, Moses, I am capable of supplying all that you need. Now go. 25 years ago, the I am said, Harley, I I know that you are inadequate. And I knew that. I know that you are inadequate according to the world's standards. You know that, and I know that. But I have something for you to do in my kingdom. He said, I am sending you to a group of people, and all I want you to do is three things. I want you to love them, I want you to encourage them, and I want you to teach them my word. That was it. That's it. Don't worry about all the things that you don't know. Just remember the I am, I am with you when you go. Here's another one. Write it down. I believe that man is responsible to God for becoming what God has made man to be. God's calling in your life is given for a reason. And I think that all of us stand responsible for what God has called us to be in this life. For me, it took 11 years to run as fast as I could away from what I knew that God wanted me to do. I was not an Abraham. I ran. I was a Jonah. So I asked myself in this, all of this, Harley, are you really determined to become what God has planned for you? Well, God, I go to church. That's not what I asked you. Well, God, I I take the cracker and the juice every week, and we know that's scriptural. I think it says every time we get together. That's not what I asked you. Well, God, you know I'm trying to tell my kids about you and about... That's not what I asked you. Are you determined, Harley, to go where I am sending you And what I have planned for you. That's what God's asking you today. Are you determined to do what God has called you to do in your life? I read another scripture, Psalms 138. This one changed a lot for me as well. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. Oh. If you read too fast, you miss it. The Lord will work out 
His plans for my life. Not your plans. Some of you have plans. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to be. Have you asked God for what His plan is for your life? For your loving kindness, Lord, continues forever. Meaning it's not just for me. It's for all who believe. One of the things that scared me the most when I first started ministry here was what will people say or think about me? Anybody have that? Anybody anybody have that but me? Uh, My concern was, what will people say or think about me? What will people say when they know that I have dyslexia and I'm my P's and my B's and my A's? They all get mixed up. And I sometimes don't put a complete sentence together. And, And I'm just a hillbilly boy from Kentucky. What will people say? What, what will people say about my height? What will people say about my good looks? I meant, I meant, I'm sorry. I don't know how that word got in there good. That's a, what do they say about my looks? I'm sorry. Looks, looks. My mother told me a long time ago, she said, son, in your life, you have to have broad shoulders. You have to learn to let things go. So I had to learn to get past that. And it took a while. And I still deal with that from time to time, especially when I stand next to like a Jeff or a Will Ranke. But in that, I knew I had to grow past that. And how I did that was I listened to more of what God said about me more than what people thought about me. Somebody need to hear that today. You are more concerned about what people are thinking about you or will think about you rather than what God thinks about you. And as long as you concentrate on what other people think about you, you will never, ever, ever find peace and contentment in your life. You can search it all you want. You won't find it. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In everything you do, put God first, and He will direct you and crown your efforts with success. You can read 25 self-help books, success books. You can read them and memorize them. And God says, I'll give it to you in a sentence. A sentence. Read all you want. Memorize all you want. Oh, by the way, put me first. You want a successful marriage? Put God first. You want a successful business? Put God first. You want to be a successful parent? Put God first. You want to be successful in anything that you do in life? Put God first. And if you are not successful, go back and see if you've put God first. And I will find you. You'll be like me many times. You discovered that God was not first in your life in that area. Put him to the test. See if it's not true. Put God first. And he will crown your efforts with success. A promise from God that he will keep in your life. Don't worry about what the world says. Most of them don't like you anyway. Don't keep focusing in on what you can't do. Start believing in what God says he will do. So going back, since this is our 25th anniversary, going back to first when we came here in 1993, I promise you I was one scared puppy. And had no idea what God was going to do over the course of the last 
the 25 years together we've been together. Let me tell you what God did. And this is for all of us, but this is really important for new ministers. Those that feel as though that's what I got to do in life. That's what I want to do in life. Please know this because this will happen to you, I promise. I don't know any minister that's good. And I'm not saying I'm good, but I'm saying any good minister that hasn't discovered this, this is what God has done to me. He bent me. He scolded me. He humbled me. He humbled me. He humbled me. He shaped me. And I am sure that he laughed at me. Not to make fun of me. He created me. (laughs) There's Harley. That's my boy. (laughs) Just got to laugh or I'll cry. But more importantly, what he's done is he loved me. He forgave me. And he blessed me with more than I could ever imagine. And Donna and I would have missed all of this if we would have focused in what I could do in my own strength. I'd have been gone in six months. Write it down. My friend, the creation, I don't know who said it first. Somebody always says it first. My friend, the creation of your destiny is held within the decision to allow God to lead you. That's the truth. Any of the successes over the course of the years here at Western Hills all comes back to one thing and one thing only, and that is a decision to allow God to lead us. And that's the only way successes will continue at any church is to let God lead. The elders at the time was Carol Rogers and Dan McClure, and I would also mention Raymond Johnson at the time. But the elders at the time to me were Carol Rogers and Dan McClure, and I miss them greatly and think of them often, especially when I'm behind the wheel of my car. I was more like Dan McClure, not only in stature, but just who I am, my nature, I guess. But I will tell you, Carol Rogers was like a father figure to me, and he poured more into my life than I'll ever get out of me before I leave planet Earth, I'm sure. But they stood before this congregation 25 years ago, and they said, we believe that Harley and Donna are the ones God wants us to bring here. And I am sure that they prayed like crazy that they were truly hearing from God. And many of you, I'm sure, thought, no way, I was one of them. But because you allowed God to lead, because you allowed God to lead, Don and I, you gave us a chance of a lifetime that we'll be eternally grateful for, no doubt. Write it down. I believe that God, the God in you thing, this is so important. I believe that the God in you thing is what will bring you to the right completion in your life. Without the God in you thing, you can't get to the right spot that God wants to get you to. You can't do it. I've tried it. And many a good man has. And many a good man has failed. The God in us has done this work. 
And Donna and I are just grateful and thankful that he let us watch and tag along. To God be the glory for it all. I've said it before, but let me say it again out of Philippians 1, 6. And, and I like this verse because what it talks about, it's being confident of this. It's the confidence that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I would say it this way. God begins with a positive in our lives. Did you know that? God begins with a positive in your life. How do I know that? He gave you life. He breathed air into your lungs. He brought you here. So he starts with a positive. But I believe with all of my heart that God wants to end with a positive in your life. How do I know that? How can I prove that? Because he wants to give you everlasting life. He wants to give you the positive in your life. In God's eyes, we are created to win. With God, we do win. So back to Philippians 1, they're being confident in this. He began a good work in you, will bring it to completion. God's will for us is momentum. God's will for your life is momentum, forward, forward thinking, forward seeing. There's a reason why he says fix your eyes on Jesus. Follow him. There's a reason for that. There is a reason someone said that the wind, there's a reason why a windshield is much larger than the rear view mirror. It is because it's out there is where God wants to take us. Oh, you have to look in a rearview mirror once in a while. It's important. You know what you're going to see when you look in the rearview mirror? If you're following Jesus, listen to me. If you're following Jesus, this is the wonderful thing about him. Jesus before me and Jesus behind me. When you look in a rearview mirror, what you're going to see is Jesus going, Hello. You're doing good. That way. You can see his smile. This is my child. Keep going. Momentum. And in that momentum, it, it means that we're building from one, one journey uh, or one part of the journey that we're in from one to the next to the next to the next so that we can hand the baton. You know, I tell you all the time, I long for the day. I hate the day to come, but I long for the day to come that I can hand the baton to John or Jimmy or Joey or whoever it is that God has already has here on planet earth to stand in this spot. And I, my prayer is that they will know how blessed they are to stand before God's people that are forward-thinking people. People that have their eyes fixed on Jesus. Not perfect people, but people that love God. And every once in a while, we got to look in the rearview mirror and see Jesus' smile and say, boy, keep on going. Christ before us and Christ behind us. God's will for us is momentum. Greater opportunity in momentum awaits those who follow him. Lakato said it best when he said, when we do what we can, God does what we can't. May we always do what we can. Last one, write it down. May we all remember this fact. 
And it, it, it really hits. As you get old, you, we always tell, our parents told us, when you get older, you'll understand. And we were like, hey, you're just old. Anybody? Now, anybody old like me, you're going like, ooh, my parent was pretty smart. Right? Time goes by. Doesn't it? Hold on to it. Hold on to this one right here. Hold on. You missed it. Hold on to this one. Get ready. Don't blink. Catch this one. You missed it. You missed that one and that one and you missed that one. That's time you can't get back. None of us. I want you to know this. You are only a moment in time. That's all you are. I don't care if you live to be 120 years old. You are only a moment in time. But here's the great thing. With a purpose according to God in that moment, are you fulfilling that purpose? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And then in 1 John chapter 3, he says, How great the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I am so thankful and blessed to stand before you, beautiful children of God. And I thank you for being a fellow worker in his kingdom. So if you are not a child of God today, He is asking you, would you like to be? Would you like to be my child? Really? Yeah. I'll adopt you into my family. In fact, he's telling you, if you'll listen real close, because Scripture tells us, if you'll listen, he's saying, I'll adopt you into my family, and you'll become co-heirs with my son, Jesus the Christ. That's how much he thinks about you. How much do you think about him? You know how you find that out? By whether or not you follow him or not. Whatever your decision is today, we stand ready to help you, pray with you, encourage you, and bless you. This is your time. As together we stand and sing.